Scripture reading this morning will be from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Sometimes my clicker doesn't communicate. It's trying to, but... All right, I'll keep doing that while, uh, while I talk. Um, good to see you this morning. Thank you for being a part of our assembly. Um, I want you to notice that in the foyer, there are some questionnaires that look like this. You may have missed them on the way in, but they're on the table just by the central column in the foyer. And so as you think about leaving, just pick one of these up. And what these are is I'm just soliciting a little bit of help as we think about weeks and months and years to come. This questionnaire is just a question for you. And by the way, let me just, let me just make note of the questions, all right? Um, the first one is, other than Revelation, the New Testament book I'd most like to learn more about is, and the reason why I ask the question that way is because I know that everybody wants to hear more about Revelation. I get that. But other than Revelation, the other 26 books of the New Testament, I'd like to hear more about whatever. The second one is about Old Testament books that you'd like to hear more about. The third question is, a Bible topic or subject I'd like to hear more about is? And then the fourth question is, a struggle that I'm facing that I'd maybe like some scriptural guidance on. And all I'd like for you to do is just within the next couple of weeks, this will be out until November 1st, in the next couple of weeks, pick one of these up, fill it out, and just drop it in the wooden box there in the foyer. The wooden box is not for the contribution, okay? It's, it's, it's separate. If you did that, don't worry, we'll get it all straightened out. Don't worry about that. But the other boxes are for the contribution. They're all labeled. So if you don't mind, drop that in there, and that would really help myself out. And as we think about Bible classes for the upcoming year, as we think about sermons and those kinds of things, this will help us to kind of make preparations. Now, having said that, I appreciate that there are some things that you may want to hear about, and I reserve the right to consolidate your thoughts with other people's thoughts. I also reserve the right to delay those things until maybe later on. So we'll try to get to what your thoughts and concerns and topics are, but don't be disappointed if you don't hear about it very soon. This is just to help in planning and and guidance and those kinds of things. I'd really appreciate your input. Uh, If you're worshiping with us on live stream or maybe you're in another place, we welcome your input as well. Just send an email to me, jbaker at katychurchofchrist.com. Send me your email. By the way, this can be anonymous. I don't need to know your name. If you don't want to give me your name, that's fine. Uh, But if you email me, obviously, obviously it won't be as anonymous. But uh, you're welcome to submit those, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd help me out along those lines. So from today until November 1st, which is two weeks from today, um, go ahead and try to fill one of those out, and it'll help us. Thank you very much for doing that. This past week, we've been thinking about and reading about prayer. Sweet hour of prayer was the theme for this week. And I just want to ask you a question. 
Have you talked to God this morning? Have you really sincerely spoken to the Almighty this morning? We've been led already in our Bible classes and in our, in our worship assembly this morning and some prayers. Have you thought about some of the things that have been said? Have those been your prayer? Before you left for the building this morning, did you take time to speak to God? When you read the Bible, great faith and great sincere prayer lives always go together. Always. The men and women in the Bible who showed great faith and confidence in God were always men and women who prayed. Always. There is no exception. And if we're going to have the kind of faith that God desires today, if we're going to show that we truly trust Him and that we truly have confidence in Him, we need to think about prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. And don't we live in a world of cares? We can take all of our wants and all of our petitions to our Heavenly Father. And what's more than that, the God of heaven who created this world and is bigger than every problem that this world faces, that God wants and longs to hear from you. He wants and longs to hear from me. And that is an astounding truth to stop and consider. And so the lesson this morning is not that complicated. In fact, the title is Prayer Basics. Sometimes we just need to go back to the drawing board and to think about what the Bible teaches regarding prayer. Three considerations this morning as we stop and ask ourselves, what is prayer really all about? In the first place, I want us to think about some reasons to pray. And then in the second place, we're going to talk about some hindrances. What keeps me from praying? What might hinder my prayers if I am praying and cause God not to hear? And then third... What's a pattern or an outline? Maybe prayer is something that's new to you. It's new to a lot of people. How can I go about praying in a way that pleases and honors God? What does he expect? What does he desire? We can communicate with God for his glory and for our blessing. Notice this, first of all, reasons to pray. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. I'll meet you there in just a moment. But as we think about reasons to pray, the Sermon on the Mount deals in a lot of places with the subject of prayer. Asking and seeking and knocking, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. But in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, Jesus talks about prayer. And I want to notice, first of all, as we think about reasons why you and I ought to pray, is because Jesus himself is a man of prayer. Jesus himself is a man of prayer. That was the pattern of his life. So much so that people asked him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. We just read that in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prayed all night before he selected the 12 apostles. If Jesus, who is divine, who is the Son of God, who had all power and all authority at his fingertips... If he was a man devoted to prayer, then you and I also following after him, striving to be like him, we ought to pray. But as you're looking at Matthew chapter 6, notice this. There is an expectation on the part of Jesus that his disciples would pray. It's an expectation. If somebody asks you, make a list of what, what's involved in being a Christian. Make a list of what a Christian does. 
Somewhere on that list, near the top, I would hope, would be a Christian communicates with God. A Christian talks to God. It's part of faith. It's part of showing our dependence on God. It's it's part of showing this is something that I'm really committed to, this relationship that I have with my Creator. Jesus expects that we'll pray. In Matthew 6, verse 5, when you pray... And then he gives some instructions. When you pray, when you pray, over and over and over. And then he gives us instructions in how we ought to pray. Jesus expects that we're going to do this. So are you? Is talking to God on your list of daily priorities? Is it something that is routinely a place that you go? Do you sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and it's like you're singing unfamiliar words? The hour of prayer is not something I've ever been involved in, and it's certainly not sweet to me. Jesus expects that we'll pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, the Bible commands Christians to pray without ceasing. And what that means is that our lives are continually devoted to prayer. We pray and we pray and we pray some more. It's not something that, allow, that we allow to stop in our lives. It's not something that we allow to come to a, a cease, a halt in our lives. Pray without ceasing because this is God's will for you. One of the reasons why people don't pray, by the way, is because we kind of become self-sufficient at times. We have income, we have food and clothing, we have shelter. And so we start to feel like since I'm comfortable and since there don't seem to be any real problems in my life, there's really no need to depend on God. There's really no need to come to him and to honor him and to petition him and to worship him. There's not that need in my life. Reasons to pray, Jesus did. When he was afflicted, when he was comfortable, he expects that we will. When we're lowly, when we're on top of the mountain, it is God's will for us, pray without ceasing. A fourth reason to pray is because the Bible promises that the faithful, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. You see, we believe, because the Bible teaches this, that when we pray, that God hears and God answers prayer. We believe that. And one of the nagging doubts that Satan wants to instill in your mind is this. Well, my prayers really don't change anything. Nothing's really going to be fundamentally different if I pray about this. That is a lie that comes from the devil himself because the Bible assures us that God, our Heavenly Father, not only wants to hear our prayers, He longs to hear from us, but He wants to bless us and answer those prayers. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And James goes on in that passage in James 5 to mention Elijah, a man who was just like you and me, he says. And all he did was pray, and there was a drought for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the skies poured forth rain. Prayer can accomplish things. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking, well, things are just going to go on the way they always have been. God already knows what I need before I even ask him, so I'm not even going to bother to ask. Don't do that. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It's a matter of faith. Reasons to pray, continuing. 
I ought to pray because I have a royal invitation from God himself to come to his throne. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. The Hebrews writer is trying to convince Christians not to give up on their faith. And one of the reasons he gives is because we have a great high priest. Listen to this in Hebrews 4.15. He says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If a king or an emperor extends you an invitation, come into my court, come to my throne. I would like to converse with you and I would like to bless you and give you strength and grace to help in time of need. If a king or emperor extends that invitation to you, it is offensive to the king or emperor if you say, no, I've got better things to do. I'm not going to come to your throne I'm not going to petition you as you've requested. We have, brothers and sisters and friends, a royal invitation to come to the very throne of grace. And notice, it's a throne of grace. God has blessings and benefits stored up for people who want to serve Him and be loyal to Him and love Him. He can strengthen us and give us grace to help in time of need. Do you have needs? As you strive to live the Christian life, are there things that would benefit your walk with Christ? Come to the throne. You have a royal invitation. Why should I pray? In Luke 22, verses 39 through 41, Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before Jesus went to the cross, watch and pray, and then he gives them a reason that you do not enter into temptation. That's significant. One of the things I learn as I read that passage is that if the apostles had been devoted to prayer, if they had been devoted to watching, if they had obeyed and heeded the instructions of Jesus, and sometimes, sometimes maybe we give them a bad rep, they didn't understand maybe the gravity of the situation, the seriousness of what was about to happen. Jesus did. But they gave in to temptation. When the soldiers arrived and arrested Jesus, the disciples ran like terrified little children. It's a help in overcoming temptation. Why do we sometimes fail? Why do we sometimes struggle with temptation? Because we don't take our concerns and our cares and our burdens to our God in prayer. It's a help in overcoming temptation. Reasons to pray. In Philippians 4 that we read this week, verses 6 and 7, listen to what the writer tells us. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's just two ways of talking about prayer, prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then there's a promise attached. If I'll pray about everything... If I'll give thanks to God and let my request be made known to him, here's the promise, Philippians 4, verse 7. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
in a time of uncertainty, in a time of confusion, in a time of difficulty, don't God's people need to be people of prayer? Because God promises peace not in the absence of craziness going on around us. God promises us peace in the midst of the craziness and turmoil going on around us. We can have the peace that passes all understanding. But the condition is that we bring all of our cares and anxieties to God. And that we talk to Him about those things. And that we remember to give Him thanks in the midst of those things. Reasons to pray. Why should I pray? It is one indication of many that I have a relationship with God. That I know Him. That I know who He is. That I am His child. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All these and more are great reasons to be a man, to be a woman of prayer. Have you been talking to God? I mean really talking to God. Secondly, this morning, I want us to think about some hindrances to prayer because there are some things that we can do and some attitudes that we can have that are going to hurt us in our prayer lives. Watch out for these hindrances to prayer. Number one, selfishness. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4 and look at verses 1 through 3. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Listen to what James writes. Beginning in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? He's talking to the church. Why are you guys fighting with each other? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure which war on your members? You lust and do not have... You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet, he says in verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, the problem that the church is facing is that they're not praying enough. They're not asking for what they need, according to verse 2. Then in verse 3, he says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. He goes on to call them adulterers and accuse them of being friends of the world and at hostility, enmity with God in verse 4. What are we to learn from this? Some people read these words and they say, well, I can never ask anything for myself then. If I'm sick and I'm suffering and I'm going through a difficult crisis in my life, I could, I could never pray for myself because that would be selfish. No, that's not right. That's not true. You can pray about needs and concerns in your life. God wants you to do that. That's the whole point of, of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to find strength and grace to help in time of need. Don't get the idea that you can't pray about your own needs. That is false. But when you read James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, there seems to be some materialism, some desire for, to escape comfort, uh, to escape a difficulty and those kinds of things and some selfish desires that were going on with these Christians. And so they're asking God for things, not because they want to be able to glorify God, not because they're seeking to grow to be more like Christ. They're asking for these things just because maybe they want to be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit wealthier. Selfishness. Asking selfishly 
Or am I asking because I really am desiring to glorify and honor God in my life? And this request will help me to do that better. Hindrance number two, willful sin or impenitence. I'm doing something and I know it's wrong and I don't care. I don't care that it's wrong. I'm going to keep on doing it. And nobody can tell me otherwise. I know what the Bible teaches about that. I know what God thinks about this. I'm not giving it up. I love it too much. That kind of heart will separate us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, Isaiah preaches to people like that. He says, God's ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. His arm is not shortened that he cannot help. But your sins have separated you from your God so that he will not hear your prayers. And Isaiah's point is, change your life. Give up that which which you know is wrong. Turn back to God. He wants to hear. He wants to answer. It's a hindrance to our prayers when that's the way we are living our lives. Third, unbelief and doubt. A hindrance to prayer. In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, James says, We are to ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the waves. Let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, James says. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does that mean? When I come to God and I petition Him, and I ask for grace, and I ask for specific blessings, I am to ask with a conviction that I serve a God who hears and answers prayer And within the bounds of his will, he wants to answer prayer. I'm to ask with that conviction. It's not just throwing up a hopeful idea and maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. I know that God hears. And I know that God cares. And I know that God answers prayers. Ask in faith and don't doubt. Hindrances to prayer. A lack of forgiveness. If you don't forgive men... God will not forgive you. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus could not have stated it any more plainly. When I have a bitter and a resentful and an angry and an unforgiving heart, when that's the way I treat people, I can't come to God and say, God, forgive me of my sins, but I refuse to forgive others. Can't do that. It's a hindrance to prayer. Another hindrance. Resistance to God's word. You ever know somebody, maybe you're talking about the Bible, talking about a scripture, and they'll, they'll look up from what it says, and they'll just say, well, well, that's your interpretation. That's the way you see it. I don't see it that way. God's word is plain. Its meaning is plain. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, the Proverbs writer says, a man who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers are an abomination to God. If there's some Bible topic or Bible subject or Bible issue that you would rather not hear about, and when somebody starts talking about that, it's checkout time. I'm not going to listen to this. I reject that teaching. I reject that doctrine. If that's my heart, that's my mind, it's going to affect my prayer life. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Hindrance to prayer. Family discord. Listen to this. The Apostle Peter, who knew Jesus Christ, 
he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, husbands, you treat your wives with dignity and honor and a Christ-like attitude. You treat your wives that way, husbands. That's your obligation before God as a New Testament Christian. And then watch this writer that goes at the very end of verse 7. That your prayers may not be hindered. It's interesting that Peter just included that. I wasn't even thinking about prayer. I was thinking about being a husband. But Peter says, God says, treat your wives with dignity and honor and kindness and grace so that your prayers will not be hindered. The way I treat my family, the way you treat your family will have an impact on the way God treats us. Hindrances to prayer. We ought to think about how we're acting, how we're behaving toward our family members. Next, as you think about prayer and the subject of prayer, pride. Pride will keep us from ever really talking to God. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, There was a Pharisee who went up to the temple and he prayed with himself, Jesus says. God, I'm thankful I'm not like other men. I'm so much better than they are. Look at all that I've accomplished and all that I've done and all that I don't do that's sinful and wicked. Thank you, God, that I'm so righteous. Thank you, God, that I'm so good. Thank you, God, that I'm so kind and merciful. Pride, self-righteousness, it's a hindrance to prayer. Finally, as you think about prayer and what it's all about, I'd like to give you a simple outline for prayer. We read this week Nehemiah chapter 1, just 11 verses. My family kind of enjoyed that day. Hey, it's a short reading today. That's great. All right. So just those 11 verses, you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, but there's so much that you can learn about prayer in that one prayer that Nehemiah offers. And by the way, Nehemiah was a man, if you read about his ministry, who was constantly devoted to prayer. Look at Nehemiah 1 in your Bibles. Open with me if you would. Nehemiah is upset because the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, as you know. And he's so upset that he goes to God in prayer first. And what can you learn about how to pray by the way Nehemiah prays? I'd like to give you an acronym. You've probably heard this before. A-C-T-S. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Don't worry if you didn't write that down because it's coming on the screen in just a second. Adoration. If I want to pray to my heavenly father, if I want to offer God prayer, I need to remember adoration. Praising God for who he is, his character, and for what he does, his works. Those two things are a constant source of reasons to adore him, to praise him. And look at what Nehemiah does. Look at verse 5. I pray, Nehemiah says, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. That's who he is. That's his character. And then he talks about what he does. You who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. What's Nehemiah doing? He's praising God. That's how his prayer starts. And when you read the Psalms, when you read the prayers of Jesus, when you read the prayers of the apostles in the New Testament, they all contain this element of praise. God, you are great, you are awesome, you are holy, you are righteous. 
we need to say those kinds of things sincerely to God in our prayers. It's not just a wish list that I'm giving God my petitions. Some of our prayers can be that way, but there needs to be a healthy element of adoration in the way I pray to God. Secondly, confession. It's coming any minute now. Isaac, hit the button for me, please. All right, if the remote doesn't work, Isaac does. Excellent. Confession. Acknowledging sin and asking for pardon. Acknowledging sin and asking for pardon. Look at what Nehemiah goes on to do. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. He goes on and says in verse 6, and then look down about the middle last part of verse 6. We confess the sins of your children, Israel, by which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly, verse 7, against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. What's Nehemiah doing? He's looking at his life. He's looking at the lives of the people of God. And he's acknowledging reality. That's what confession is. When you and I pray, we ought to acknowledge reality about ourselves. And sometimes we're pretty blind to that. Prayer can help. When I take a good long look at myself in the mirror of God's word, I see a lot of things that need to be confessed. Things that need to be talked about with God. Sins that need to be forgiven. And we ought to be specific about those things. Confession is a part of prayer and asking for pardon. Third, Isaac, oh, never mind. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Thanksgiving. Giving thanks for God's blessings. You don't see this as much in Nehemiah's prayer, but he does, by the way, talk about in verse 7 and verse 8 the covenant that God made with the Israelites. The law that he's given them and the promises that they can depend on. There are always reasons in every situation, no matter how difficult life seems, there are always reasons to give thanks. Always reasons to tell God, I recognize what you've already done for me. How you've already blessed so many people. And I praise you in that finally is S, supplication. Asking for what only God can supply. That word supplication, it means that like when your wife sends you to the grocery store, there's a list. These are the things that are empty in our pantry at home, and I need to supply those things. And only the grocery store has these. And so I go to the grocery store, and I buy these things, and I replenish that supply. Supplication is coming to God and saying, God, I'm empty. I'm devoid of these things. I need these things, and only you can give them to me. And what Nehemiah does in this prayer is he asks God to supply. Verse 11 of Nehemiah 1. Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this king. What Nehemiah is saying is, God, if I go into that king and I start asking for things, even if I'm right, and even if this is a good cause, God, if you don't intervene, if you don't bless... This is going to fall on its face. This project will never get off the ground. Supplication. 
asking for what God can supply. That very simple outline ought to pervade all that we do when we pray. Sometimes our prayers can be all about adoration and very little of the others. Sometimes our prayers might be all about confession and very little of the others or supplication. But there does need to be a healthy balance when we speak to God. Are these individual elements a part of the way that I pray? When you think about the sweet hour of prayer that we sing about, consider again the privilege of being able to come before God and to talk to Him and the fact that He promises and longs to hear and to bless those who supplicate before Him, those who pray. Why wouldn't we be more prayerful people? If you get a songbook, go ahead and open to the song that Tim announced a few moments ago. It's been a long time since I could say those words. The God who wants to hear us pray is the God who wants to save you from your sin. And if you know you're lost, you know that you're not right with the Lord, why would you wait any longer to put Him on in baptism? Why would you not come and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and repent of your sin and confess that He is the Lord and be baptized, immersed in water? Why would you not do that? The Bible teaches that it's baptism that is the dividing line between being lost in sin and saved in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27, we put on Christ when we're baptized. If you desire to do that this morning, or if you desire to respond and ask for prayers, because we believe that prayer can accomplish much, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?